Hi, I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Kelsey. We're into telling you stories. Sometimes funny, sometimes awkward, sometimes creepy or sad, but who knows? Every month it's different, but no matter what, you'll be asking yourself. Okay, WTF. Welcome, friends. Hey. Oh, hi. The weirdest part about that, this, that being this. this the double, double, this, this. <laughs> double, double, that, that, is that I could touch you Whoa, right now. Me too. <laughs> because we're in person right now. What? Which is also why this might sound a little weirder than usual. Uh, Maybe better. Definitely better. Yeah. We are very technologically connected, but in person. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. And I love it because it is my birthday weekend. Yes. And two of my favorite humans on earth have graced me in their home. We have uh, neither live, neither studio, but we have audience. <laughs> we have an audience. We have an audience. We have a... Nintendo Switch playing 30-something-year-old Lady Lou chilling. Who just waved, not realizing this is an audio medium. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> <Hi>, folks. <laughs> She's here. She said hello in case the microphone is specific. We don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a thing. I'm so excited. Me too. We weren't able to record this before, but then we were like, you're coming out this weekend. Should we... Take advantage? Yeah. Should we should we vibe? I think we should vibe. All right. <laughs> I'm excited to vibe today on this one. Um, this uh, well, okay, hold on. Let me just tell you what my source is first. Okay, so yes. All right. Go over the sources. Okay. The sources. There are a lot of them. We've got yeah. watertownhistory.org, weirduniverse.net, madison.com, vault. Smithsonian, National Geographic, PubMed, NASA, the BBC, Wikipedia's Arthur E. Gerke, BBC, Fizz.org, Science Daily, National Park Service, National Geographic, the University of Pennsylvania, and Channel 3000. Lots of stuff here. I feel like this story will be timely for when this episode drops because we will be deep in the throes of winter. Correct. At least on the East Coast of the U.S., we will be deep in the throes. Um, there may or may not be snow. Right. Um, and it will be the time when all people just want to eat, sleep, and stay warm. Comfort food. Mm-hmm. Chicken buffalo soup is my jam. It's so. good. You make a good one. <laughs> Thank you. I also have to give a shout out to my partner, Pat, on this one because he gave the tip for this episode. Ooh. And it has been fitting my vibe in terms of like, historical but historically open quote unquote and hysterical and hysterical <laughs> um interesting things for the sake of being interesting happen in this episode good um it's somewhat pointless uh <laughs> but with a layer of intrigue as with all things yes <laughs> and this is really the precise kind of story or thing that i'd see a fact about somewhere and then totally fall down a hole for Understood. um and determine is this legitimate or is this OKWTF? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, in my seemingly ever expanding library of whimsical, uh, few are as fascinating as what we're going to be talking about right here, um, which is human hibernation. Ooh. Yes. So, given this time of year, this shouldn't be hard, but picture a world where humans can sleep through the harshest of winters, cozied up in bed and snacking away. I'm imagining, I'm picturing. I'm picturing because it's real <laughs> for me. Um, perhaps even imagine a world where humans could go into hibernation for deep space travel. Ooh. Um, so let's also explore the history of human hibernation or hibernation-like activities, the biology behind it, and the eccentric story of Arthur E. Turkey-Yerkey. Have you heard of him? No, <laughs> but I love it already. <laughs> Okay, so um, turkey gurky. Turkey gurky. <laughs> this story of human hibernation will start way back in ancient times. So, as far back as ancient Greece, philosophers like, uh oh, we have a pronunciation 
situation here. Who is that? Oh, Empedocles? Yep. Okay. That guy uh, pondered the possibility of suspending life during harsh seasons. There's even some exploration of the closeness between sleep and death with hypnos, Mm -hmm. uh, which is also the personification of sleep as depicted on the screens here. We've got hypnos um, in marble form and jar form. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Whatever that is. And, you know, as as every person is, you've got human form. form and jar form. And marble form. Um, the concept of humans entering a dormant state to conserve energy has been brewing in the minds of visionaries for long before science began to kind of, like, understand how hibernation works in animals. Mm-hmm. So, fast forward, 20th century. Whoa. Science fiction. Tantalizingly. Close to fact. In the 1930s, scientists like Dr. Raymond Dart speculated about the potential of human hibernation in his paper, Human Hibernation Aphantasia. Um, Here he is on the screen, looking young, looking old. Um, Looking fresh. Looking fresh, looking giggly, soulless, whatever you decide. Yeah, the last picture. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't look away from this. (laughs) He's looking into your soul. (laughs) Dr. Dart. His paper delves into the intriguing idea of humans entering a state of dormancy, similar to that of hibernating animals during a harsh season. So Dart envisioned a scenario where humans could drastically reduce their metabolic, metabolic, metabolic. (laughs) We had pronunciation problems on this, and I love that for us. It's fine. It's fine. You know what? Everyone has. Metabolic. I'm going to go with it. (laughs) Metabolic rates. To conserve energy and endure extended periods of inactivity, kind of like bears Mm -hmm. um, and squirrels. So the paper was considered more of a thought experiment than actual scientific reality, but it reflected that kind of fascination that humans have with this idea of hibernation Mm -hmm. and the possibilities it could offer for future. So to really understand human hibernation, we need to really chat about animal hibernation. We are animals, but... Many animals, other types of animals, yes. Many animals like bears, ground squirrels, they are masters of hibernation, and they kind of hold the key to this. It is a bit of a phenomenon. When animals enter a state of lethargy, their metabolic rate plummets, and so they become astonishingly energy efficient, and they uh, survive on stored fat for months. Mm. So that's why there are so many adorable photos of squirrels just stuffing their faces um, with nuts that circulate, you know, the end of summer into fall. So yeah. right now you're probably seeing lots of those. Vid- what did you do, Amber, live audience member? I wish it was as cute when I did that. Yeah, I, I wish it was as cute when I hoarded nuts in my mouth. Oh, ooh. <laughs> These animals start fattening up for what they like to call the long sleep. All right. <laughs> Might come back to us. <laughs> <laughs> in the pursuit of unlocking possibilities of human hibernation, scientists have been fervently searching for the hibernation switch in our genetic code. Could it be that our genes contain the blueprint for temporary dormancy? Hmm. So research was published in things like Nature um, that suggest there may be genes in humans that when activated can induce something like a hibernation-like state. Um, and that kind of makes me stoked because the way things are going here on Earth, yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be so bad to just pass out for four to five months. Yeah, just you be know? like, what happened? Oh, okay, sure. Of course it did. Yeah. And then just pass right back out again. Yeah. Nut stuff and pass out. I... <laughs> that better not be the title of our episode. Nut stuff. Nut stuff and pass out. Um... <laughs> so... One of the fascinating aspects of research on human hibernation is really specific to its possibilities in space travel. So imagine astronauts embarking on long journeys through the cosmos, passed out Mm. through the void to conserve the resources. Sure. And it is a dream currently being explored by space agencies. And one day it may actually become a reality, which would open up a whole array of possibilities for space travel. In the realm of medicine human hibernation could also offer groundbreaking solutions. So imagine critical care patients, um, you know, being able to be put into a temporary hibernation state versus a coma 
to buy time for life-saving treatments, which is really cool. There are distinct differences between being in a coma and hibernation, by the way, just in case you're curious. I was curious. I was like, wait, are those kind of the same? No, not really. At a high level, hibernation is a naturally occurring physiological state in some animals, Mm -hmm. primarily for energy conservation. And while in a coma, that's an altered state of consciousness resulting from medical causes. So they differ significantly in their purpose, their duration, their underlying mechanisms, and the potential for recovery. It's kind of wild to think that something with a science fiction vibe, like hibernation, which is very abnormal for humans, normal for certain animals, may soon actually become a biological possibility. Yeah, that's cool. It's kind of cool. This is really science-y. Mm-hmm. It's, it. it's going to get more science-y. Oh, I love it. Buckle up. Let's uh, chat a little bit about the difference between animals who hibernate versus the potential of human hibernation. Okay. Of course, since we're all animals, we share some common themes like lowered metabolic rate and decreased activity during periods of extreme environmental conditions. But there are also key differences that we're going to delve into about hibernation in animals that do hibernate and the potential for humans. So let's look at metabolic rate. So animal hibernation they hibernate like bears and ground squirrels enter a state called torpor where they're which basically means like lethargy where their metabolic rate drops significantly they can reduce um it down to as little as one to five percent of their normal rate which is wild um allowing them to conserve conserve that energy for months and months on end for humans we do not um our metabolic rates cannot drop that significantly as far as we're aware but there is ongoing research to understand how to induce that artificially. Um, so we'll see. Body temperature. Okay. That's the next one. Hibernating animals experience a substantial drop in body temperature, often approaching something called the ambient temperature of their hibernaculum. Whoa. And that was a really funny word to me. So I was like, we are going to use that, but it's basically a den or a burrow. Okay. And Some animals even become mildly hypothermic during hibernation, which I thought was really interesting. Um, But for humans, any potential future application of human hibernation, the maintenance of a safe core body temperature would be critical because we are warm-blooded and drastic reductions in body temperature can pose serious health risks, especially for people who are already predisposed to certain things. So that's a, a sketchy one. Fat utilization is another one. So hibernating animals rely on stored fat for reserves to get into that dormant state. And um, their fat stores allow them to survive long periods without that food. Uh, And of course, then it's like metabolically broken down. Um, So it's just slower, which is kind of cool. But for humans, if we were to achieve artificial hibernation, (laughs) It would involve that relying on fat stores, but our metabolism and our fat utilization are very different. So the mechanics of fat utilization would vary and we don't know enough about that. So we can't do it safely. Um, Another one is time. So duration. So many animals hibernate for several months from autumn through winter, usually awaking in spring, uh, though that varies drastically among species. Mm -hmm. If we were to realize that our hibernation time would likely be much shorter. Um, and that's the intent is really important in that. So in terms of like, because it will be high risk to even be artificially hibernated, (laughs) um, because there's so many risks and so many variables in humans that we either don't understand or whatever, um, it will be a lot of risk analysis. So like you have to be on death's door potentially to make this worth it, et cetera, et cetera, especially for medical procedures or space travel. So um, a couple more, Mm -hmm. the criticality of adaptations can't be overlooked. So animals have evolved specific physiological and behavioral adaptations for that create the ability to maintain their body temperature and fat storage and all that. And human hibernation would definitely in the, like it would require all sorts of artificial technology interventions because the evolutionary adaptation to this has taken animals potentially billions of years. Oh, yeah, sure. So, obviously, if we want to do that soon, time is not on our side. (laughs) Um, Definitely not. And then the health implications. So, because there's already 
so many mechanisms in that evolution for animals to cope with the physical stress of hibernation, like muscle atrophy, mm-hmm. organ function, bed sores. Yes, that all of that. We do not current. That's a significant concern for medical professionals: the maintaining muscle and organ function, preventing tissue damage, and having a safe and normal return to metabolic activity. So there's a lot of parallels between the potential for human and like the traditional hibernation of animals. But when it comes down to it, they are fundamentally different processes. Um, And so researchers are exploring this, but really who knows if this will happen in our lifetime. That takes us to Turkey Gurkey. Good old Turkey Gurkey. <laughs> Mr. Arthur E. Turkey Gurkey. He looks like a Turkey Gurkey. He does. He's got he's got that good old vibe. He's Turkin and he's Gurkin, you know? <laughs> Turkin and Gurkin all day for day. I just love his name. Yes. Um, and I feel like there's some sort of like kid song with his name, like Turkey Gurkey. It sounds really familiar. Or maybe it's, it's like a musical Turkey Lurkey time. Oh, that's better than what I had. I was saying wonky donkey. <laughs> There's a lot of like um, underlying, what would the word here be for like things we're saying but not saying and it sounds like certain, anyway, um, between donkeys and nuts and all sorts of things. Um, anyway, Arthur E. Turkey Gurkey was born December 11th, 1914 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not much is known about his early life, but he exhibited a keen interest in science from a young age. He pursued higher education at the University of Pennsylvania, where he earned a PhD in biochemistry, and that ultimately laid the foundation for his future scientific endeavors. So in his adult years, he lived in Watertown, Wisconsin. He actually owned a tavern called the Turkey Roost with his wife, um, which is probably where a turkey came and then it rhymed with Gerkey, and here we are. According to Wisconsin's Madison Madison Magazine, Gerke suffered from some physical ailments and that worsened in cold weather. So for several decades, he spent November through March in his second floor apartment above that bar they owned, mostly underneath the covers. And his wife ran the tavern and sent food to him on a dumbwaiter, which is a really weird name for like a lift. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, So Gerke, Turkey Gerke's most daring venture came in the early 1950s, when he embarked on an audacious experiment known as Project Igloo. This endeavor was supported by the U.S. Air Force and aimed to simulate the metabolic and physiological conditions of hibernating bears in human volunteers. So two courageous army officers were selected to be part of this groundbreaking experiment, and they lived in specially constructed chambers where the temperature was lowered and their metabolic rates dropped. So Project Igloo garnered widespread attention and captivated the imagination of the public and scientific communities. But really, the results of this experiment were mixed. Of course, it was 1950s, and we still haven't figured this out. But it was a significant step towards the study of human hibernation. He was really dedicated to this quest to really understand and replicate what still is kind of a natural phenomenon of hibernation, of hibernating animals. So apart from this research... Turkey Yerke's approach to science was characterized by really bold experimentation, constant curiosity, and that led to many innovative discoveries, and he really contributed a lot to the field of biochemistry during his time, and he mostly worked hard to understand metabolic processes and how the body responds to all types of extreme conditions, Um, and that has laid the groundwork for current uh, research being done on this in both the medical and um, space kind of yeah. spheres, as well as a reminder that even the most audacious dreams have the potential to reshape our understanding of the world and humans' relationships to our surroundings. I will leave you with a quote okay. from Arthur himself, which I really have to agree with at this point in time with the world. Okay, He said, if more folks went to bed all winter, there wouldn't be so much trouble and confusion in the world. <laughs> Probably. I totally agree, sir. I totally agree. And that is the story of animal hibernation, human potential hibernation, and Arthur Turkey Gurkey. And Arthur Turkey Gurkey. I have a couple of questions for you. I do not have answers, but yes. Good. Okay. Um, (laughs) This one is, so you talked about how if there were going to be uh, hibernation periods in humans, Mm -hmm. um, it would probably have to be like on a much smaller time Mm -hmm. scale. 
than months and months. What month would you give up for hibernation? I would give up maybe like February. I was thinking February, yeah. exactly. But I would probably give up um, January 11th to February 11th, <laughs> mid-January, because my husband's birthday is in February. So I would want that to happen. And my wife's birthday it's is in early, early January. January. So then we would cover it. We would yeah. birthday, pass out birthday. I like it. Yeah. I, right? I'm totally bored for that. Uh, yeah. Bored for that. We love you, Mr. Girk. We love you, Gerky. Gerky, Gerky. If he made his own jerky. Oh, my God. He could have a line of turkey, turkey, turkey. Oh, my God. And he, he could make it turkey, so it'd be turkey, turkey, jerky, jerky. No, he, turkey, turkey, jerky, jerky. He missed out. He chose the wrong path. He did. All right. Actually, sorry, sir. You suck. Go back in time. <laughs> yeah. Wake him up. He should have done time machines. We could go back and make turkey jerky gurky. Man, so many missed opportunities. Literally. Speaking of missed opportunities, I don't have a good transition to my story. Perfect. That sounds like the one. Okay. So, Kelsey. Yeah. I teased this story from a previous story that we covered. Uh-oh. And I had mentioned during the episode of the Ballad of Almond Mayonnaise uh-huh. uh, when I did the Y2K and yep. the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Uh, that there was a story um, about how we, meaning all of humanity, mm. survived perhaps the most deadly possible apocalypse of all. Mm. But I said that I didn't want to bring it up yeah, because it needed to be its own thing. At the time, I thought it was going to be the next story, but then I switched some things. Is there God stuff in this? Uh, Tertiary God stuff. All right. Here we go. Okay. So I'm coming to Mm -hmm. you, Kelsey, Mm -hmm. live audience member, and (laughs) future audience members that are listening now uh, with a story I'm calling, Which Came First? But it's W-I-T-C-R-A. Okay. (laughs) And this is the story of Mary Bateman. AKA the Yorkshire witch and her pet, the apocalyptic chicken of Leeds. Oh my God, hell yeah. So oh. I'm going to go over some story sources. Okay. We're doing some Wikipedia, as always. Of I mean, course. it's a great source of information that high school teachers always told us not to use, and now we're all using It's the only thing. Um, <laughs> IFL uh, Science, and um, we have historicmysteries.com. Whoa. <laughs> Mental floss. So always a great Ooh. place to find like interesting mm-hmm. things you may not have heard of. Yorkmuseumtrust.org. Okay. UK, uh, the lineup.com. The crimewire.com. And we've got a couple of books here. We have uh, oh, yeah. a newer book, The Yorkshire Witch, The Life and Trial of Mary Bateman uh, by Summer St- uh, Strevens in 2017. We also have similarly titled The Yorkshire Witch, The Extraordinary mm-hmm. Life and Character of Mary Bateman. Okay. Edward Baines in 1809. Interesting. That last book is more of like a posthumous, obviously told the story of her, but also kind of embellished. So there are some things in there that aren't corroborated. So I tried to keep most of those uncorroborated stuff out. Do you own that book? I don't, but oh. I did read it. It's available on Google Books. Ah, interesting. And also anywhere online, I'm sure you I can find it. So Mary Bateman, her maiden name was Harker, Okay, was born in 1768 and grew up in a very mm. humble farming lifestyle kind of environment. Mm. She lived in Azenby, England, which is kind of like a suburb of a suburb of York, mm. Yorkshire. And when she was 20, she moved to York proper. Mm. She became proper. She was in A's and B's. And A's then... and B's and C's. So I have a map here of England and I'm going to point you between number 10 and 12 you see Leeds Mm -hmm. and you also see York I love Leeds that's a fun city I want to go there it's a fun city maybe you have tread the same streets definitely of the Yorkshire dark corners and the river the Yorkshire river probably too oh man the whole other situation so while she was in York Mm. she was a dressmaker that was kind of her trade up until and uh, unfortunately became involved in some burglary Mm. Um, she found that dressmaking wasn't really making the most amount of money and she wanted to make some more so she did some burgles and unfortunately she got found out and they were kind of like this is a first offense can't do this again so she decided to put some distance between 
this burgle <laughs> and moved to Leeds uh. to try and minimize any kind of interaction between the law in York and anything in Leeds. Hmm. In 1792, she married a man named John Bateman, who happened to be a wheelwright. And what is that? A wheelwright is just a person who creates wheels for, <laughs> for like, um, for like parts or like any anything like that so that's a wheel right oh god um, why is that so funny i don't know i was like so curious and like, i thought it was going to be like he was a lawyer of engineers or something but it's like no. yeah he made fucking wheels i mean it was important <laughs> yeah it's actually it's like the stone age it's so. just like the stone age yeah. it's not the first perfection um, they were the wheel rounds in the stone age but now <laughs> yeah, they were the wheel rights uh-huh. they had squares and now they're circles yeah all because of john bateman thank good you good job john. dude in the early days of their marriage she got bored again. Oh, boy. And she embarked on a series of daring robberies <laughs> and found herself yet again in the clutches of the law. Her, Get it, girl. Her knack for avoiding jail was uncanny, however. She'd often slip out of trouble. You know how? By bribing. I was say, like, yeah. by rolling out on a wheel. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, John, this is actually the first Fast and Furious movie. This is what it's based off of. Uh, John was the wheel man, <laughs> literally. Uh, no, but she would, uh, anyone who kind of saw her mm-hmm. or any like police, but there weren't really police at the time, but law, she would just give them lots of money from all the robberies she had done. And they were like, all right. All the wheels he made. And all the wheels. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're good. By 1796, John decided, I got to get out of this life. <laughs> just one more job. No, he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to roll out. I got to roll out <laughs> on, on my many wheels. And God damn, I'm going to be haunted by the ghost of John Bateman. Yeah. I feel it. Um, He's going to wheelie come for you. <laughs> it's going to be really bad for me. How many wheel puns can we come up with in this story? Where everyone counts. That'll be the. Uh, Community involvement. Ooh, spoken. Spoken the fire here. Wow. All right. So he decided to listen to the army because he wanted to have a more honest life. And he Mm. thought that if he brought Mary along, maybe that would help Mm. kind of tamper her proclivities for Mm. uh, irresistible life of crime. (laughs) Burgling. She burgled. She's a burglar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe she was the first hamburglar. That's maybe that's Ooh. a different story. Uh, <laughs> um, Mary found the temptation just too strong, and after a year, came back to the same area and just started up doing her old thing, but not quite her old thing. She kind of learned a little bit. She got a little smarter. Okay. Uh, instead of just straight up robbing people, <laughs> what she decided to do uh-huh. was pose as a fortune teller and an herbal healer, healer, and. Uh, <laughs> Herbal Wheeler. Herbal Wheeler <laughs> for Turkey Gurkey. Uh, and she preyed upon the hopes and fears mm-hmm. of her unsuspecting clients. And uh, mm-hmm. she gained a reputation for her mystical powers, drawing in those desperate for guidance and healing. Mary didn't solely mm-hmm. depend on her own reputation. Uh, what she decided to do uh, was wow. kind of like, in my mind, like a little MLM style uh where she decided she would be the go-between for a couple fictional wise women that she had made up uh, and that who conveniently lived really far away so it was difficult for her customers to verify that these fictional women were actually real these imaginary characters namely mrs moore and it was either mrs or miss blythe Okay. Uh, relied on letters, and Mary took on the responsibility of sending these letters on behalf of the customers, but also on behalf of Blythe, Blythe and more. She would collect the fees for her own services, mm. but then also charge postage for every letter she supposedly sent mm. and would pocket the money for herself. All of this will be important for later. Okay. Uh, mm. Among her numerous crimes... There's a couple pretty awful ones. Like uh, we we laughed a little bit, but this one apparently she had wandered the streets of Leeds after a devastating fire. 
in the town, saying she was seeking aid for victims. However, mm-hmm. instead of helping those in need, she pocketed the donations for herself. Mm-hmm. We unfortunately see that all too often. Still. Still. But it's something that rhymes with the bed moss. <laughs> right? That's what we see. All right, anyway. Yes. <laughs> the bed moss. Um <laughs> you know what i mean i know what you mean just in my head i know we're recording but i'm like what is the title for this? and it's just like all these things keep popping in my head um, stay with me here mike yes wheel on back <laughs> okay spoken like a truth <laughs> anyways there's a particular story i want to bring up and that is of the apocalyptic chicken Mm. Uh, that truly sets Mary Bateman apart. In We've eight- got turkeys. We've got chickens. Get your poultry. Sorry. And we got <laughs> wheels. On wheels. In 1806, Bateman became a follower of the prophetess Joanna Southcott and regularly attended her meetings. Mm. Uh, as a member of this sect, and it was, it's a Southcottian sect. <laughs> I'm going to have to research more about that. That might be a future episode. She orchestrated a hoax that became known as the Prophet Hen of Leeds. In this uh, this craziness, what she'd done, Mary claimed to have a hen that laid eggs with a message written on the shell of the eggs themselves. And that message was, Christ is coming. And so you'd think like, oh, here's a basket of eggs. It says Christ is coming. Someone must have just written it, right? Mm-hmm. No. What she did do was she she had written the eggs on ink. Mm-hmm. And then... Written on the eggs with ink? Written okay. on the eggs with ink. Christ is coming. But she needed it to look like the chicken was <laughs> popping them out. So she would stick the eggs <laughs> back up the ovum. Oh, my God. So when it would come out, the egg would come out, they would have that message and be like, oh, see, magical. So, of course, Bateman and her associates in the sect put these eggs on public display, charging curious onlookers a penny for the privilege of seeing them. And, of course, this phenomenon attracted the attention of many people, both curious and faithful alike. Crowds would gather to witness the mystical eggs and hear Mary's interpretations of the cryptic message. So even though it was the same message over and over again, she would be like, Christ is coming because this is happening. Christ <laughs> is coming because this is happening. Got a little more inventive. Yeah, I know. Seriously. No one was like, hey, this is Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they had Sharpie back then. I mean, they have their equivalent, all right? It's probably like called... Ink? Yeah. <laughs> Inky. 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 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so people worked into a frenzy, convinced that the apocalypse was finally coming. Hmm. And she, Bateman, used this chaos to line her pockets with all the money coming in. Hmm. She hmm. even started like, you know, these chick- these eggs aren't making all the money I want. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin selling seals and sigils inscribed with JC on them. And <laughs> these... If you bought them, they would guarantee free entry ticket to heaven. Like, no matter what you did. Religious people will believe anything. They will. They will. Because all I can think of is J.C. Chazez. (laughs) It's Chazez? I always thought it was Chazez. Sure. (laughs) Whatever the hell it is. I don't know, but it's J.C. Get out. Get out. Jump! No, don't. Stay here. We love you. Take a wheel on down to the hub and spoke. So after a bit, some people were starting to be a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they decided the best thing to do was to separate the hen from Mary <laughs> and see if the eggs would still lay. And wow, all of a sudden, they just came out regular eggs. Ah. Um, before this hoax came out of mm. course mary was a sensation in these and only mm. bolstered mary's reputation as a mystic in the community mm. but behind this facade mm. lay a woman with a dark side involved in theft forgery and even <laughs> murder 
I'm going to talk about one of the darkest chapters uh -oh, of Mary, Mary Bedman's life. And it centers around the poisoning and murder of Rebecca Perigo of Bramley, England, near-ish Leeds. Hmm. She and her husband, William, were a wealthy couple that had come to trust Mary. Rebecca had been dealing with chest pains, and the couple sought Mary out as her reputation mm. as a healer, wise woman, mm. had spread even further. No matter like how many hoaxes she had been knocked down, mm. she got back up again. You're never going to knock her down. <laughs> never um, gonna, yeah, I get back now. I just also realized I haven't been moving the... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I figured that, but I was like, you know... No, so on the screen now um, is Leeds Brewery. This is where she lived when she was in Leeds. You may have passed mm. right by there. Oh, probably. This oh, is okay. the this is a print of uh, Mary holding her egg with Christ. if you see the desk with some ink and a quill and you see Christ is coming on her I egg. See Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And uh, this is where we're going to get to poor Rebecca and William. Mm. There we go. So they had trusted Mary. Mm. Rebecca had been dealing with chest pains, and the couple sought Mary out. As I just mentioned, um, mm. over the span of 10 months, Mary managed to extract a staggering 70 pounds from Rebecca and William Perigo. To put this into perspective, that's more than what a skilled tradesman would typically earn in an entire year. Mm. Her haul included not just money, but also clothing, mm. furniture, various household goods. And some of the money was intended to be made into charms mm -hmm. to ward from evil and sewn into Rebecca's mattress while some was purportedly destined for the fictional wise woman, Miss Blythe. Ah. So this is where we get Miss Blythe coming back up. Mary's Mary pretending Mary. to be in a go-between. Hmm. Uh, so Mary continued her practice of charging for the postage, a scheme she had employed with others before, if we have hmm. uh, heard. The letters allegedly sent by Miss Blythe contained detailed instructions on what items the Perigo should provide for her for her mm. services. But since Miss Blythe was purely creation of Mary, she kept all those items for herself, of course. The letters also instructed Rebecca and William to destroy any correspondence, leaving absolutely no trace. Otherwise, <laughs> no healing would work. Of course. Uh, in May of 1807, Mary frightened the Paragos by telling them that God had an impending illness in store for them. She claimed that following Miss Blythe's instructions were the only way to avoid certain death. <laughs> Mary then proceeded to send them a sequence of white powders, instructing them <laughs> to mix these powders into a pudding and consume all of it. She guaranteed that this would save them, emphasizing yeah. that no one else, not even animals, should partake in this pudding. Any leftover pudding had to be destroyed, um, <laughs> and they were explicitly prohibited from seeking other medical help, as cool. Mary insisted that a doctor would be powerless against the devil. Seems legit. Totally legit. Yeah. According to some sources, uh, some of those books I've mentioned before, the initial powders appeared harmless, but it was the sixth one that was the most deadly because that was the impending illness that was coming. Ah. Other sources say that all of them were poisoned, but she just like adjusted the dose and slowly started increasing over time. Probably. Rebecca ate her entire portion while William managed only a spoonful. Both suffered violent illness for 24 hours. And yet they adhered to Miss Blythe's orders and refrained from calling a doctor. Oh my God. Instead, they consumed a honey mixture provided by Mary, who promised it would counteract any side effects of the supposedly magical powder. So she had even baked into this, like, there might be side effects. And here's another product I can sell you. Oh my God. For this. Oh my God. Tragically. On uh, Sunday, May 24th, 1807, a week after consuming the pudding, Rebecca passed away. Reports at the time described her tongue as badly swollen and her features discolored and distorted. One would think after this point, she would be found out and uh, her surviving partner would maybe call the police or the doctor <laughs> or something. You would also be wrong. Because despite Rebecca's death, William remained in contact with Mary, seeking explanations for the failure of the previous spells and the oh cause God. of his wife's demise. 
Could be because of his pilgrim shoes. Maybe. Maybe they were too tight. Look at those. Look at those fucking shoes. All the blood is down there in his feet (laughs) and not in his brain. Yeah. Possibly. (laughs) Um, He continued to send items to the fictitious Miss Blythe, including his late wife's dresses. Oh, my God. In one letter, Miss Blythe complained about receiving a shabby dress when she needed one of more (laughs) evening formal attire. Mary would go on to say that Miss Blythe had said she died because obviously the couple didn't follow the instructions to the letter. Like either there was leftover pudding or they must have fed it part of it to a dog. So all of this was their fault. Oh my God. Uh, so she was bleeding William yeah. dry. And William's desperation for money eventually led him to open these charms that were sewn into the mattress, uh, which were supposed to came, contain like gold, guineas, and other like protective <laughs> things intended for Rebecca. To his dismay, he found only pennies, farthings, and scrap pieces of paper awesome. on the inside. Oh my god. So finally, this remember this was in May, May 24th, on October 20th. <laughs> of 1808 five months later five months later william decided to approach the authorities um (laughs) during their investigation they discovered various substances on mary and Mm -hmm. in her house including a white powder that Mm. turned out to be a corrosive form of mercury awesome which she had told them to mix into the pudding and also had mixed into that honey to counteract Mm. any side effects Mary tried to shift the blame by claiming that William had given her the pot of mercury the night before her arrest, alleging that he was trying to frame her and that she was only a go-between for Miss Blythe. Mary Um, is unwell. Yeah, uh, the authorities didn't buy her story. You know why? Because all of the poison was in her house. (laughs) And all over her. (laughs) And all over her, yeah. Um, (laughs) So Mary's elaborate deceptions began to crumble. Her life of crime exposed her arrest marked the beginning of the end for the Yorkshire Witch. Uh, there's still more. Oh my God. <laughs> the trial of Mary Bateman, which took place in 1809, uh, was a sensational event, of course, that captured the attention of the public. Mary faced multiple charges, including murder, theft, mm. forgery, and the prosecution presented a pretty damning case against her, especially because all of the evidence was found in her home. Uh, including stolen goods poisons the dresses the furniture she had requested witnesses testified about mary's fraudulent practices like from years past about like the hoax with the chicken and and everything other things uh, other hoaxes that were exposed from before of miss blythe or mrs Mm -hmm. uh in my head i said more thank you i'm saying rogers in my head and i know that's wrong Mm, Mr. Uh, Rogers. Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Little is known about the early life of Mr. Rogers. And the connection to New Yorkshire Witch. <laughs> he is wanted for questioning. Um, so, Mary's last ditch effort was to say she was 22 weeks pregnant because oh boy, at always. the time, it was the near exact amount of weeks the law had just so happened mm-hmm. to mean her verdict would be postponed. Of course. A group of 12 married women were selected to verify Mary's claims of being pregnant, and oh this Mary's last ditch effort proved fruitless, as all women stated under oath that she was, in fact, not pregnant. Mm. Bateman was found guilty of her crimes and sentenced to death by hanging. The sentence was carried out on the 20th of March, 1809, in front of a large crowd of onlookers. Mm. Despite her grim fate, Mary maintained to her death her mystic facade, even in her final moments, proclaiming that her death would bring calamity to Leeds. <laughs> uh, but as history would show, Leeds continued on without any future apocalyptic events. Mm. Maybe aside from Y2K. <laughs> Mary's body found its way to the Leeds Infirmary, and this is where we're going to show some additional photos. Mm. Um, where curious onlookers were charged three pence for the privilege of viewing her remains. I love how it's like waving. It's like, hey, hey. It's me. Thousands flocked to witness her dissection. For those interested, there was an option to acquire a dried and preserved piece of her skin as a souvenir. And I, for one, find it darkly interesting uh, that someone who had built her empire on lies and faked charms 
would eventually have part of her own body turned into mm -hmm. a charm of sorts. Uh, her skin was even employed as the binding material for several books. Yeah. Uh, one rumor suggesting one of these volumes had belonged to none other than the future King George IV. Of course. There were two books that I was able to find. I I didn't write down their titles, but they were their provenance had been up until the late 19th century, and then they kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't know where they are anymore. Hmm. More than two centuries later, her skeletal remains were on public display, initially at Leeds Medical School and later at the Thackeray Medical Museum. Today, her skeleton can be found in storage at Leeds University, <laughs> marking enduring fascination with her unusual and grim story. And so we can see the skeleton here. Where did her legs go? I don't know. Okay. I don't know where her legs went. Uh, but you can see a folding cup made in 1809 oh. from the skin of Mary Bateman on the right-hand side of that slide. So... So that is the story of the Yorkshire Witch and the Apocalyptic. My number one question. Yes. I've got probably more than one, but this is my, my number one question is, does no one find it fascinating that in order to determine if she was pregnant, they had to call upon 12 married women, not a doctor? Right, exactly. What did they do? Like shove their hand up there? Like 12 married women. Just like, yeah, she doesn't, I'm not getting those pregnant vibes coming at me. Like, poking, poking yeah, like what? She's not glowing. But in like, have to be married women, 12 married women. Married women because, well. They can only be pregnant. They can only, if they were, had children and they were not married, then but, they would not have been able to be chosen by the court. And they're the only but ones who've been educated about childbirth. No one was like, a doctor could at least tell us. And it would be legitimate in some regard, I would think. Right? No, I don't know. I just, that's my number one question coming out of this. And then also, yeah. where is the chicken skeleton? Where is the chicken skeleton? It's probably with her legs. With her legs. Yeah. Because <laughs> those are MIA right now. Oh and maybe my those God. are all with the wheels. Yeah. Yeah. All the wheels. It's in a mass wheel, wheelie big grave. <laughs> you know what's amazing to me? Yeah. Is that people are still this noble. I, they are. They still do this stuff. I have other disturbing news. Yeah. I just quickly looked up pun puns for wheel, and it's all just like either changing instead of feel its wheel or eel its oh. wheel. So there's, I wheel sick. Man, I wheel like a woman. Oh. <laughs> I wow! Be, like I, I thought, you guys did a much better job. Thank you. Like, like hub. Oh, I thought you were like indicting us. Like I really thought you guys would have done a much better job. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, one singular yeah. Nintendo Last Switch thing. audience member. Our first audience member gives us a thumbs way down, down, <laughs> down underground. <laughs> oh, probably with her legs. I am so curious where those legs are. Um. This was fascinating. I like the lean into true crime a little. True crime, I thought uh, Kelsey's going to love. Uh, yep. I have not heard of the Yorkshire Witch, so this, I'm a fan. I mean, I'm not a fan of her, but I'm a fan of Original girl boss? Original. Original girl boss. Like, original MLM. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, MLMs are fake, but like this one didn't have real people. Oh, no. Kelsey, we just lost all the MLM. Original side hustle queen. Fake queen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so fascinating. But it's always poison with those women, huh? Always poison. Poison is a popular one. Yeah. Sometimes I get really tired. Mm. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. Was rubber around then? No, definitely not. Well, rubber trees were definitely. Not. Yeah. But really treading the fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. she's cheating. You're damn right, I'm cheating. I came up and hub and spoke without Google. You did. Anyway, yeah. this was amazing. Um, Mike. Yes. If I were a rando and I was like, oh my God, this really makes me want to submit a story, what would you do? There's a couple options we got for people. We have 
as you say before, multiple spokes on the wheel of um, this. Yes, um, yes, yes. We can we can go to an email format. Yeah. Maybe people just want to send an email to hello at mm. okwtfpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Also, if they just go mm. to www.okwtfpodcast.com, mm-hmm. they will find a pretty easy link to put in a story submission, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want to come up with their own wheel puns. Mm. They can send us your wheel puns. Yes. Uh, They can also find us on social media, but Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what are the handles that they could search for? At OKWTF Podcast. Don't tread lightly. Oh. (laughs) Um, Come come quick. Send us your things. Follow us. uh, Enjoy the show. Give us more stories. Questions, comments, complaints. Uh, Send those to president at government.gov yeah. <laughs> i was like don't say org, it's not an org. It's not an org. i mean it kind of is its own org at it this is point. It's an org. um <laughs> but anyway yes. uh it's it's been a blast it's and been lovely doing this in, in person, person with an audience member what? A, a not so engaged audience member but wow. here nonetheless Whoa, <laughs> so, so much hatred judgment Yes. coming your way <laughs> um thanks mike thank you for a wonderful time now let's go party yes happy birthday <laughs> thank you well actually wait happy birthday amber at this point probably Prob- <laughs> yeah yeah happy fun day. <laughs> thanks for getting weird with us Submit your own OKWTF stories for us to share by visiting www.okwtfpodcast.com. And stay in touch on all the social platforms at OKWTF Podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to OKWTF on your streaming service of choice. Thank you so much to Out of Flux and Ayal Talmudi for the use of their song, Da Boom Jiggle. And thank you to Bilal Sarwar for their incredible cover art. Until next time. <laughs>